So if you are a guest today, go ahead and take a minute to fill out the communication card in your bulletin and put it in the offering basket as it passes on by. Uh, today we have class 301, Futures with Friends, and that's not the stock market futures, even though Floyd's teaching it. That's today at 1245 in room 103. Um, we also have class 201, Serving with Friends, on next Sunday at 1245, and sign-up can be done online. We have the Youth Winter Retreat for 8th to 12th graders, March 11th and 12th. This is the last week to sign up for that. See Mariah in the lobby after the service. And then this coming week, this coming weekend, we have our women's retreat, and it starts at 5 o'clock on Friday. Dinner starts at 6. This is the last weekend to sign up for that. It is $45. We're going to have uh, Tanya Bourne speak on the abundance of God's provision in himself to us. We have breakout sessions on Saturday. You don't have to spend the night. You can go home and sleep. You can sleep here. You can bring a cot. You can bring an air mattress, um, mattress pads. Uh, dinner's going to be provided. It's $45. Like I said, you don't have to stay the night. We're going to have, it's going to be just like an old-fashioned slumber party. We've got a lot of surprises. We've got um, some surprises in worship. That is going to be absolutely awesome. And we're going to have a couple of items that we're going to auction off. And I hope if you have not signed up yet that you'll take that opportunity and you can connect with old friends, you can make new friends, and it's just going to be a lot of fun. So you guys can go ahead. Um, the children are dismissed, and uh, we're going to continue in worship.
Do you believe it? Yeah. Is that me clicking? Well, if it is, just ignore it. It's good to see you all here this morning. Uh, we are going to continue in our Bible series here, The Promised Plan of Creation. Uh, we're going to be doing this series, well, until we get to the end of the Bible. So um, uh, and, until we finish or until Jesus comes back, whichever comes first, we're not going to. I'm not going to make any plans there. First, we're going to take up the offering before we jump in here. So if you ushers would mind coming down front, let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we as always, we thank you that we have uh, Sunday to come before you to worship. Um, but we should be worshiping you every day, every moment of our lives. And we thank you for the gifts. We have plenty to thank you for. We ask that you uh, um, make us act as good stewards of your resources. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, let me show you where, kind of where we're at uh, to recap on the last uh, three weeks. I started uh, uh, the series several weeks ago um, at the beginning. In fact, we, we talked about in the beginning and how the universe was created. And then uh, Floyd came along and did the creation. I, well, I kind of did the creation. Then he talked about the fall. So, he talked about Adam and Eve. And then he talked about Cain and Abel. And that's, as you can see, we're still in Genesis. We're about 12 chapters in where we start today. We're skipping over a little bit. Um, we're going to be skipping over the flood. Um, it's a pretty well-known story. Uh, and if you've been reading through Genesis with us in the Bible reading plan, um, well, you probably through that by now, you realize things happen pretty quick. I mean, there's a lot of stories in those first 12 chapters. So we're going to go through Noah. We know what happens there. He, he forms a new covenant with us, with us saying he's never going to again uh, destroy us that way. And then we have the Tower of Babel. Um, some of you probably know the story uh, or have heard it. Uh, what had happened is the people started to become so numerous and they were all kind of living in the same spot and, and speaking the same language. And they, and they started building this big tower because they thought they could reach up to God and they started getting a little too big for their britches. So God splits the people apart. Um, and by the time we get to where we're at in the story today, when we're talking about Abraham, the people of the world have spread out into a pretty big geographical area. Um, probably covering the whole world by then. They number in the millions now, um, speaking different language. They have different cultures, uh, different histories. And at this point, God has decided that he needs, to, in order for him to, to work out his plan of redemption that he's had since the very beginning, he's going to pick out one tribe of people. And, and then this is the story it's going to pick up in Genesis 12. But before we, before we jump into that, I, as I was getting ready for this, I, I, I kept thinking about Abraham's story, and I came up with the title, All In. Um, and I was asking myself, am I all in for Jesus Christ? Am I completely committed to following him in every facet of my life. How many of you would say that you're, you're all in for Jesus, that you're, that you're in, to, you're in for following, well, two of you, so that's good. I set the bar kind of low this morning, but I know it's early. Most of you sitting here today are already Christians. And so you've already made that initial uh, pledge, that, that promise that you're going to follow Jesus Christ, that you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. Many more of you probably pray once or twice or three times a day. Maybe you even crack open your Bible. You, you, you say that you're Christians, and I believe you. Um, you've made that initial, uh, uh, that initial uh, uh, 
concord with God. But are you really in? Are you really committed to letting Jesus Christ come into every area and every aspect of your life? Now, before you answer that, let me just kind of take you through some some uh, some some scenarios and let's 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 test ourselves. Let's search ourselves to see how how in we really are. So when you get your paycheck, for example, every two weeks or every week or twice a month or however often it is, when you see that money in your bank account, do you stop and thank God? Do you say, thank you, Lord, for providing me these resources? And now, Lord, I turn over the spending of these things to you. Where do you want this money to go? I know we have to pay these bills, but what about this other stuff, Lord? Do you turn your finances over to God? Gerald, you've, you've taught a class in uh, financial peace, and there's another one that's starting on Monday, I think. And this is, a, this is a good opportunity for you to get into something like that to see if you really do. I mean, we turn over the big purchases to God, right? You're going to buy a house or, or something like that, and you're praying. You're like, God, is this the right house? Should I spend two, $300,000 on this house? But do we do it with the small things? Do we ask God... Listen, uh, should I buy this, this television set? Should I buy these things? Lord, where do you want me to spend my money? How about your relationships? Have you turned every aspect of your relationship over to God? If you're a single person, there's probably single people sitting out there right now. How are you going about trying to find the love of your life? Have you turned that over to God? When you're out there on Christian Mingle or eHarmony or however people meet people nowadays. I know you don't go to uh, on dates or anything. You just do it like through the internet. It's kind of new. We didn't have that when I was met my wife. She just came up with me, hit me with a club, and that was pretty much the end of it. Hey, I was willing. I woke up and I was like, shoot, I won the lottery. <laughs> so I don't know how you do it these days, but how? Are you praying for God to send somebody into your life? Yeah, I know some of you are. Some of you have turned that over. And some of you have said, Lord, I not only want you to send me the right person to marry, I want you to make me into that person who deserves to meet that person. I want you to change my heart. Lord, prepare me to be the husband or the wife that you would have me be. Have you turned every aspect of your life over to God? And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how Abraham went through this process of trusting God with every aspect of his life. When God told him to do something, he would do it and he would follow it to the letter. But if you know Abraham's story, despite the fact that, you know, we go through and we look at the highlights, you know that there are a lot of low parts too. Because Abraham, believe it or not, is just like you and me. He listens to God when God speaks loud and clear and makes it evident that he should, but other times he relies on his own self-sufficiency, as Floyd talked about, his own self-reliance. He relies upon his own self-preservation instead of turning things over to God and saying, God, how would you have me do this? I'll help you along, God. I know you're busy up there in heaven with the real sinners, so I will take care of these things in my life, and I want to ask you to help out. So we start in chapter 12 of Genesis and the Lord said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, at, well, I should t let me point something out real quick before we jump in, because it might get confusing if you're reading along. Abraham's original name was Abram, right? And Sarah's original name was Sarai, Sarai. Yeah, so 
if you're reading through and all of a sudden two new characters are appear, it's the same people, okay? God does that when he takes control of your life, when he takes a hold of your life like he did with Paul. He was Saul and he became Paul. When he takes a hold of your life, he so changes you, he just gives you a new name. That's right. My new name is Tonto. I didn't get a choice. It was just what he told me it was going to be. So if you're reading, I don't know where I came up with that. The Lord said to Abram, he said, hey, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be, and be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. This is the second time when God starts to foreshadow Jesus is coming. The first time is back in Genesis 3. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he's already doing it here. Now, of course, Abraham has no idea what God's plan is or how it's going to work over the course of 3,000 years. But he tells him, through all the people of the world, I am going to bless through you, Abraham. I've picked you, Abraham. You are my guy. So Abraham went... As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Genesis 12, 1 through 4. Now, how many of you have ever, would be willing to do this, would be willing to just jump in if God spoke to you? I, I mean, I remember once in my own life, I had, I, was, I had just come back to the Lord. I hadn't been around him. I wasn't used to hearing from God, but I, had, I, was, I was working in one industry. I wasn't in... I wasn't working at the church. I was working in, in, in the hospitality industry, in, in the hotel industry, and I had a good job, and I'd been working at it for a while, and something was moving inside of me, and I didn't know what it was, and, but it, was, it seemed that the thing I needed to do was quit my job. I had a house. I had a mortgage. I, I had kids, and then I had to go and tell my wife, as Abraham no doubt had to go and tell Sarah, that, hey, listen, Something's telling me to quit my job. Thinking my wife was going to throw me out of my ear and divorce me. So I went, you know, sheepishly and I said, listen, I don't know what it is, but I know I'm not supposed to be working in this industry anymore. My wife, who had been a Christian for longer than I had, knew exactly what was going on. So much to my surprise said, okay. And I went, really? Okay, sweet. Okay. So, you know, I was thinking maybe I could parlay this into other things. God has told me to buy this new pickup truck. doesn't work because you see your wife is talking to God too. So she can go and get... God, did you really tell him to buy that pickup truck? No, he made that up himself. I don't know where he gets this stuff from. And so I did. And now I know now that that was God moving in me. But I hadn't been used to hearing from God. But this is what Abraham did. He, he heard from God. He went and told his wife. He said, listen, we're supposed to leave my family behind and, and, and go out and just leave. God told him to leave Haram. And so he goes out and he says, listen, I'm going to give you three promises. I will, I will give you a land. I will show you a land that you're going to be moving to. I will make you into a great nation. That's the second promise. And the third promise is I will bless you. In Hebrews, it says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. That had to be scary. 
just going to tell your wife that, listen, we're going to leave everything behind. And she said, wait a minute, your mother's going to stay behind? And she's like, okay, let's go then. Let's go. Let's just go. <laughs> Sounds good. Leave it good all behind. People didn't leave their families behind back then. People didn't move to another town back then. People didn't go out when, with no direction other than what God was giving them. With no family unit. And you have to understand the family was everything back then. It was your entire culture was your family. We're leaving it all behind. Just you and me, honey. We don't have any kids. We're packing up the sheep and we're going because this is what God has told us to do. So it was a good start. He jumps right in. Abram's following what God has told him to do. And his wife is dutifully following and standing right behind him and helping him out. But you remember God said, leave your family behind. Well, apparently, Abram had a sister who had an idiot nephew by the name of Lot. And he's like, please take Lot. He's killing us. You have to show him how to be a man. So he's like, okay, Lot, you can come with us. So I was like, why are you bringing that guy? He's always getting into trouble. He eats his own boogers. He's not a good person. Don't bring him along with us. But he does it anyway. Right from the get-go, Abraham is relying on his own marbles to figure things out. God has given him very specific instructions and For the most part, he follows them, except for he brings Lot along. And and despite all this, God continues to bless him. He's taking him out there. He's going to show him into a land, show him to the the land where he's going to inherit one day. He's going to make a covenant with him. But immediately things start to go wrong. God is blessing him. So you have Abram over here with his family, and he's got all this cattle. And right next to him, you have Lot, and God has been blessing all of them. And he's got all his cattle and all his sheep. And guess what happens? Those two herds start to intermix. They're eating all the pasture. There's not enough room. The blessings are becoming a curse. So Abraham finally gets it into his his thick noggin that he shouldn't have brought Lot along. And so pulls him aside and graciously asks him, he says, Lot, I think it's about time you move out of the house. And Lot's like, oh, okay, all right, I'll take my stuff. And, and, and Abraham says, okay, here's what I want you to choose. I want you to choose one direction, I'll take the other. I, you choose north or south, okay? You go north, I'll go south. You go south, I'll go north. Lot, which one do you want to go? Lot says, I want to go east. He's like, no, that wasn't one of the choices. And he goes, I want to go east. All right, go east, go east. Where, where are you planning on going, Lot? Well, there's this town called Sodom. Oh, okay, Lot, that sounds like a great place. Why don't you go there? And you guys know what Sodom is, of course. This is like Vegas. (laughs) This is not where you want to send your idiot nephew. But he goes that way anyway. And immediately things start to go bad for Lot, right? So here he is camped out in front of... uh, in front of Sodom, and there's this rebellion going on with Sodom and, and these Elamites. You don't have to remember these names, but the Elamite king comes in and he, he crushes all this, this rebellion. And he's coming into Sodom to, to, to pick up the, you know, the spoils of war, to grab, to, to rob and pillage the city. And he goes in and he sees Lot and his nice juicy cattle and his whole family. And so he goes, hey, why don't you guys, guess what? You're coming with me. So he takes them prisoner. And they haven't even gotten to Sodom yet. So yeah, at some point, Lot should have got a clue that this road trip to Vegas was a bad idea. But he goes anyway. So they take Lot and his family captive. They grab everything out of Sodom. One person escapes. Runs back. 
and tells Abraham what's happened. And Abraham's like, I knew it. I knew he was going to get himself into trouble. So what does he do? Abraham gets about 300 of these ninjas together. And they go out and they find out where this guy is camped outside of Dan, the, uh, uh, the bad king, the Elamite king. And uh, he comes up with this little night raid plan and they put their night vision goggles on and they go in and they flank them and they destroy them and they kill the king and they get Lot back and they get all the possessions of Sodom and they bring it all back and they're, they're walking back to Sodom to take Lot back to his place and, and the king comes out, this, uh, the king of Sodom comes out and the king of uh, Salem comes out and it, they say, listen, you know, you can keep whatever you want, just give us our people back and Abraham being a man of God says, no, listen, I don't need anything. I, God told me to come here, rescue my nephew. All this other stuff is just spoils of war. I tell you what, you can not only have your people back, but you can have all the money back. So Abraham started to learn from his mistakes. See, the thing is, is we do this too. God has told us what he wants us to do in our lives. And sometimes we rely upon our, our, our own thinking to try and, um, you know, cut corners. But God will continue to look after us. We don't lose our salvation because of stupid mistakes that we make. And we will make them. If Abraham makes them, we're going to make them too. And so we rely back on God, but that doesn't mean we're not going to have consequences. It doesn't mean you don't have to clean up after your mistakes. Sometimes you have to make amends and say, I'm sorry, just like he did. But you know what? You do it the way God wants you to do. And so that's what happens. And God continues to bless Abraham. Okay? So he says, okay, let's try this again, Abraham. Once again, he protects him. He says, you know what? You were pretty brave. I like the way you handled yourself after that. So the Lord decides to form a covenant with Abraham. And he says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, to your descendants, I give this land. To be sure, this wasn't the end of Abraham goofing off. He kept falling back on his own thinking. And as you can see from here in Genesis 12, again in Genesis 20, there are two occasions, these two occasions where Abraham lies about who his wife is to protect himself. Can you imagine that, ladies? Okay, let me read this story if you're not familiar with it. I'll read the first one to you. It's in uh, Genesis 12. So I'll read it. You don't have to follow along. Now there was a famine in the land and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while when the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is your wife. And then they will kill me, but they will let you live. See, you're my sister. Hey, so I'll be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. So when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. And he said, hey, thank you very much, Abraham, for this beautiful woman, for your sister. And here's some sheep and some cattle and some donkeys and some servants and some camels. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. But then what happened? The Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his family and his household because it was Abram's wife, not his sister. So the Pharaoh summoned Abram. He said, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why didn't you say, take her? She's, your, she's my sister. So that when I took her to be my wife, all this bad stuff happened to me. Abraham does this twice to his wife. His own self-preservation instinct kicked in. 
And instead of relying upon God, God who had already promised him this land, who had already promised him that you will be the father of descendants that will save the world. He still was afraid for himself. He still in the moment made bad decisions. That's you and me. That happens to us. We're not all in. We don't trust God all the way. But God protects and he blesses Abraham because he's always faithful and his promises will come true despite his his lack of faith in these instances. And we also know, remember, that God had come and said to Abraham and Sarah on more than one occasion, listen, you're going to have children. Also recall that Abraham and Sarah were getting up in age. So you got 60, 70, 80 years old. They haven't had kids yet. Sarah finally gets this idea. She said, listen, let's help God out. Maybe he can't do this. So let's help him out. Maybe this is what he wants us to do anyway. Maybe, maybe he wants us to put one foot in front of the other and, and start things down that road. And so what does she do? Sarah goes and gets her maid, Hagar, brings Hagar to her husband. This gets really weird, but this is true if you haven't read this. Says, Abraham, why don't you sleep with my my maid? Then you can get her pregnant and we can raise that child as our own. Thus the, the, uh, the prophecy of God is fulfilled. Hopefully Abraham thought twice about this, or at least had her persuaded, because this is just really weird. But nevertheless, he does it. She has a child, and everything's great and dandy after that, right? No, everything is not great and dandy after that. So Hagar starts to get uppity, because here's Abraham, you know, loving on Ishmael, the little baby, and saying, oh, this is great, thank you for giving me this. Sarah's like, starts to get jealous, Of course she starts to get jealous. You should have thought of that before you asked your husband to sleep with your maid. (laughs) Abraham, you're not off the hook. You should have said no. It's a trap, all right? Don't do it. Guys, please, hopefully this will never be an issue for you. But it's here in the Bible. Don't do it. He makes it really clear. And, of course, this causes all kinds of problems. God had promised this son to Abraham and Sarah, but in their impatience, their plan to provide an heir for them backfires. First, we get this conflict between Sarah and Hagar, and later on between Ishmael and Isaac, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But you realize this this continues to this day. You see, because the Muslim world and Islam, they still see Ishmael as the first and rightful son of Isaac or of Abraham. He should have inherited everything that Abraham had. In the Jewish world, in the Christian world, Isaac is the promised son and therefore is delivered as the inheritor. And to this day, this is a problem between Israel and their neighbors. A mistake he made thousands of years ago still reverberates till today. If God has promised something in your life, he will deliver. It might take some time. You might be 90 years old. Hopefully you won't be 90 years old when you have a kid. But in Sarah's case, that was the case. But it is God's timing and not ours. 
Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abram in his old age, at the very time God had promised. When the time had fully come, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. It had finally happened. Nobody thought it would happen. But it had finally happened just as God said. Ishmael was about 14 at the time that Abraham was born. And there was tension. All of a sudden, Ishmael's wondering, what's going to happen to me in my life? What's going to happen to me and my mom? How's he going to treat me now? And so there's this story of Ishmael is teasing Isaac. Sarah walks in and sees this, and she comes. She just gets incensed. She's, she's mad. She runs over to Abraham. She says, listen, I want you to kick that boy and his mother out of our house. I want you to throw them out on their ears out into the wilderness. Now, Isaac, I mean, Abraham is very distressed as well. This is, you know, he, he's, he, he likes Hagar. He, of course, loves Ishmael. He's been raising him as his son. But God says, don't worry about it. I will take care of them. He's your seed. I will raise up a great nation from him as well. Don't worry. He has no idea how they're going to survive out there in the desert alone. There's bandits out there. There's all kinds of things that want to kill you, including the desert itself. But the next day he calls them together and he says, here's some bread. Here's some water. See you later. Don't let the door hit you in the butt. He has no idea. But listen, he trusts God. God says to him, I will take care of them. But you need to do what your wife has commanded you to do. And so he does it. It had to have broken his heart to see his son go. It had to. There's no way that he, that was an easy decision for him. But he trusted God to do it. And he does. And they go. And immediately things start to go bad. They run out of water. They run out of food. But what happens? God takes care of them. He comes to Hagar and he says, don't worry about it. Here's water. Here's food. I will protect you. I will protect your son. Eventually, Ishmael goes on to marry an Egyptian woman. And and the rest, as they say, is history. So, God continues to work things out. You see, Abraham has gotten to a point where he trusts God with anything. But he's about to be tested more than he's ever been tested before. See, God sometimes gives and he sometimes takes. And in this case, he says, take your son your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Abraham commands his servants to remain while he and Isaac proceed alone to the mountain. Isaac carried the wood upon which he'd be sacrificed. And along the way, Isaac asks his father, he says, where is the animal for this burnt offering? To which Abraham replies, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they lay out the altar. And you can just picture this in your mind. Abraham lays Isaac out there on the altar. And Isaac doesn't. It doesn't say he cried. It doesn't say he said he wasn't going to do it. He was fully cognizant of what he was about to do. And Abraham lifts the knife up and is about to plunge it into Isaac. And an angel stops his hand. And then he hears some rustling and he turns. And sure enough, in this thicket of bushes right next to him, there's this ram who's got his horns 
caught. And there it was, their burnt offering. God had provided him. God had stayed his hand. It was a test. And if you look at this story, and I can tell you non-believers look at this story, and they look at it out of content, and they see a God as, why would God take his servant Abraham? Why would he test him this way? That seems mean-spirited. Why would he do that to Abraham? The scripture says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Do you understand that? He says, yes, all the nations of the world are going to come from Isaac. No, he doesn't have a wife or kids yet. By the way, I want you to kill him. There is no way you can rely on your own ability to think yourself out of the situation. It's logically impossible to be dead and have babies. It just doesn't work. But God trusts him completely with his only son. And Abraham, it says, reasoned that God could even raise the dead. Do you see this? He said, he's promised me these things and he will deliver these things. So if it means I have to kill my son, I know that God will somehow make it work. I have no idea how that is possible, but he might even have to raise him for the dead. I don't know, but I trust him. Isaac trusts him. Isaac knows what the promise is. He trusts him. He trusts his father that his father is hearing from God. He's seen it. It's been a system of building up trust, making mistakes, being blessed by God, giving a second chance, learning how to trust God with every single aspect of our life, even the lives of our children. Abraham was, boom, he was in. He was all in. You don't get any more in than that. It's, it's, it's an example of living by faith. Justification by faith alone. Paul talks about Abraham. Uh, he, he devotes the entire fourth chapter of Romans to talking about what it means to have faith. And how strong Abraham's faith was. Paul says, therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offsprings. Not only the Jews, not only those who are under the law, but also to all those who have faith, who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Abraham believed in God and was credited to him as righteous. Abraham's faith in the promises of God was sufficient for him to declare righteous in his sight. Abraham did nothing to earn the justification. It was simply his faith. So do you see how all the way back at the beginning, like Floyd was talking about, with Eve, the very first signs of the gospel being preached way back then. And then we have it through Abraham. And we see this working of God's grace. You see, The gospel didn't begin with Jesus. It began in the beginning. It was a plan that no matter what we tried to do as human beings to derail this plan, God's got a plan. It's a perfect plan. 
He's thought from the beginning, yeah, I gave you free will. I knew you would misuse it. But I want to reconcile not only the Jews, not only the chosen people, but the entire world. And I've got a plan to make that happen. And that plan is Jesus Christ. All in. We call up the band. We're going to take up communion here in a few minutes. And I want to talk about what it really means to be all in. You see, Abraham had his son out there and was about to sacrifice him because God had told him so. But God stopped him. But you know what God didn't do? He didn't stop his own son from going to the cross. He willingly went for us to bring this plan full circle. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son Just see how it all comes together. It's a perfect plan. And for thousands of years, he has been slowly working out this plan. He points to it in Genesis. He points to it in Leviticus. He points to it in the prophets. He points to it all the way up until when Jesus is born. And just like Abraham, when he heard from God, God said, go, he went. When the shepherd angels up on the hillside and they said there is a baby down there in a manger I want you to go they went that's how we need to be when God tells us to go we need to go we need to give our lives over to him every aspect of our lives not just the big things the small things trust me if you only give the big things over to God and you start praying for guidance in your life for these big things you won't have the ears to hear You won't have the eyes in your heart to see what his will is for your life because you haven't practiced with the little things. Bring the small things to him. He's not too busy. When you do, when you start to have this this conversation with God, just in a very practical sense, I want you to think about this. If you're about to buy, say, a new television set or something as trivial as that, but before you do it, you say, God, should I spend this seven, eight hundred dollars? Right then you've opened up a line of communication. And even if you don't hear a word from God at that moment or the heavens part or anything like that, because you're cognizant of your place here on earth and his place in heaven, and you know all the rules and, and the foundations of your belief, when you start to pray, that all comes to mind. And you'll start to think about the important things in your life. You'll start to to weigh whether or not you can afford something like this. You'll think with the mind that God has given you, with the heart that God has given you, and you will make the right decision because you've given these small things over to God. And when you can be trusted with these small things, God sees that, and he trusts you with a lot more. And some of you, who have already made the decision for Christ, have been trusted with these small things, God is ready to trust you with more. Will you? Will you take him up on that? Will you start to share your faith with your neighbors who don't believe? Will you go? I know that a lot of you are all in and that you read your Bible and you pray and you ask God how much you should tithe and you do all these things and that's great, but God wants you to go out and share this. He wants you to add to this family because you understand it was a plan from the beginning. He said, the entire nation will be blessed through you, Abraham. 
And he's going to use you as children of Abraham to bring that message to the world. Are you all in? Are you ready to do that? Let's think about that as we come down to take communion. So come on down, stand up and, and take the, want, the juice and the bread and go back to your seats. Jesus was taken, the night that Jesus was taken, the day before, they would take him out, Calvary, he got all the guys together, all the apostles in the upper room, and they're laying around the table, and, and Jesus looks at them, and he says, listen, I have to go away, there's something I have to do. Jesus had been telling them for a while what it was, but nevertheless, they were still surprised. So in this last supper they had together, he took a loaf of bread and he got himself a piece, broke himself off a piece, and he says, take this bread. This symbolizes my body, which I give for you. likewise he took the cup the wine that was there he said this is my blood think of it it was spilled for you there's people out there today who haven't accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior I know there is some of you on the fence. There's some that aren't here that are either watching or are sitting at home that you know people who you've tried to get to come in. 
and I want to pray for them right now. And if you're ready at the end of this prayer to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come down. We're going to have people who would like to pray with you. If coming down front is not your thing, I understand it can be very scary. Well, then we'll pray for you right there at your seat. Just bow our heads. Since the beginning of time, before the beginning of time, Lord, you had a perfect plan that would finally come to fruition on the cross with your son. Your desire, your one desire was to see us reconciled with you. You are a just God and you are a good God and you have a perfect plan for each and every one of us, including the people, Lord, who haven't even accepted you. I want you to speak to them right now, Lord. Speak to their hearts, persuade them with logic if that's the case. Grab their hearts, break it if that's what they need. Let them joyfully come to you, Lord. We ask this. We do this because not because it does anything for us, but just because we know how much you have changed our lives, how you have saved us from death. And we want this for every human being. We know what it's like to be filled with your glory, Lord. Let them know what it's like to be filled with your glory. Let them make that decision today. And Lord, for those of us who have already made that decision, who are in for you, all in for you, Lord, fill us with the compassion that we need to go out and share the gospel with other people so they too can come to know your glory. We ask this as we do with everything in your holy name. Amen. Have a good week, everybody. If you have kids in kids' church, please feel free to go get them and come back. For the rest of us, we're going to stay in worship for a while. But have a great
rest of a blessed week.